May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday, in a beautiful sermon about how we purposefully or inadvertently turn people into others in order to discount and dismiss them, Reverend Lauren reintroduced us to the story of Jacob and his family. With his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and his two maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah, Patriarch Jacob has 12 sons and two daughters. Jacob's story is a roller coaster. It is full of great joy, as when he meets the love of his life, Rachel, and when his family grows one child at a time into a household full of the blessed riot of children. Jacob's life is also full of great pain and sorrow, as when Rachel dies in childbirth, when his daughter Dina is brutally violated by a city official, when his elder sons report that Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, has been killed by wild animals. At times, Jacob himself has acted in ways that are not morally upright, stealing his twin brother's inheritance, failing to defend Dina after her violent ordeal, and as Lauren reminded us last week, these are the stories of our spiritual ancestors. These are our family tales. And while Jacob is indeed the patriarch of our spiritual lineage, he is not necessarily always a role model. Kind of like your Uncle Billy, who was mostly a really good guy, except when he used to run moonshine in the hills. <laughs> But these are our people. These are our stories. There are lessons to glean here and history for us to remember as we read and study our scripture. Jacob has seen and done a lot. He has lived a lot. Some of it he might be proud of, some of it not so much. And throughout all of it, Jacob has prayed for deliverance, for forgiveness, in times of joy, in times of sorrow. Jacob grows throughout these stories, as does Joseph, his son. Our lectionary, that three-year cycle of readings we follow for our Sunday worship, leaves out a huge chunk of Jacob and Joseph's story between what we heard last week and what we hear this week. Last week, you'll remember that at the end of the selection from Genesis, Jacob's beloved son Joseph has just been sold into slavery by jealous and resentful older brothers. But a lot happens between last week and this week. Joseph is sold, into, sold to one of Pharaoh's high-ranking officials. He gets in trouble for rebuffing the official's wife's advances. And then while he's in jail for that offense, he catches the eye of Pharaoh himself for his ability in interpreting dreams. Remember, it was that same ability that got him in trouble with his brothers to begin with. 
Joseph rises in the ranks of Pharaoh's attention and his esteem, and Pharaoh puts him in charge, Pharaoh makes him a governor and puts him in charge of giving out food to the citizens of the land in the midst of a famine. Whew. Like his father Jacob, Joseph has lived a roller coaster of a life. He's an interpreter of dreams, a beloved son, a maligned baby brother, an indentured servant, a prisoner, a governor. Joseph, like his father, has lived great joy and great sorrow, done some things he's probably not proud of, and some things of great import. When we rejoin the epic family saga this morning, Patriarch Jacob is an old man. He and his remaining wife and their remaining children and grandchildren are dying of starvation in the family that has scourged their homeland of Canaan. Meanwhile, in Egypt, Joseph is handing out food to those who come asking for it. Jacob has sent his sons to Egypt, to the governor, to try and get some grain to keep them from starvation, not knowing that the governor is his beloved lost son, Joseph. Are you following me so far? <laughs> Days of Our Lives has nothing on this story. Joseph's brothers, the selfsame ones who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery, so many years ago, come to him begging for food and do not recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them immediately. He tests them to see if their hearts have changed. And then he says, with tears streaming down his face, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Our story could go a million different ways at this point. But Joseph reminds his brothers that God has been present in every single part of his story and theirs. God sent me before you to preserve life. It was not you who sent me. It was God. Now, Joseph is clear with his brothers that God did not sell him into slavery. His brothers did that. But God was present with Joseph in the pit. And it was God who helped him make a way out. God was present when his brothers abandoned him. And God was present when his brothers showed up with empty bellies and broken hearts. We all have roller coaster stories. We all have moments, seasons, maybe even years that we are very proud of and the times that we hope everyone else will forget, even if we can't. We have epic joys and deep disappointments and tragic sorrows. They are all ours that we hold in our hearts. Maybe there were times when you were able to make meaning from loss, and maybe you were just able to survive another day. 
We share this with our spiritual ancestors, with Jacob and Rachel and Leah and Joseph and all his brothers and all the others. But here's what else we share. In all of those times, in every single one, God is present. When we are at our best, when we are at our worst, and everything in between, when we cannot show up with our best selves, God shows up for us anyway. When we cannot learn from our mistakes, God will hold that lesson until we are able to grasp it. When we are too broken to stand, God will sit down beside us. Now, part of what is mystifying and even frustrating to us mere mortals is that we may not always be aware of the presence of God in our lives in times of great sorrow or confusion or shame until we see the movements of God after the fact. But hear me when I say, friends, God is present. God is there. There are moments throughout Jacob's story when God makes God's presence known. You might remember Jacob wrestling to receive God's blessing and breaking his hip in the process. With stories like these, I sometimes find it a little harder to find common ground with our biblical ancestors like Jacob. Jacob got to talk with and even scrap with God in real time. But it's notable that Joseph does not encounter God in the same way that his father does. Joseph's relationship with God is more like yours and mine. Joseph comes to God, understand God's presence in his life while his life is taking shape. And sometimes long after the path has been revealed and walked. Joseph recognizes God's hand at work, sometimes in the present, sometimes in the past. But even without the hip-cracking wrestling, Joseph knows that God is there with him. God is there in the forgiveness that is granted to us when we do harm to others. God is there in the people that hold and care for us when we are in deep pain. God is the light at the end of the tunnel that is not, in fact, an oncoming train, but the daylight we need to show us the way out. The God that reunited the elderly Jacob with his long-lost beloved son. The God that filled the bellies of Joseph's abusive brothers the God that gave Joseph the capacity and the strength to forgive those who had thrown him away. That God is the one that forgives us, that fills us, that lifts us. There are so many lessons in the saga of Jacob and Joseph. There are lessons about familial relationships, and lessons about unearned forgiveness. 
There are lessons about redemption and immorality and grief. And most importantly, above it all, there is an abiding lesson about the presence of God amidst chaos and calm. If you find yourself with time and a Bible on your hands, I hope you'll do yourself the favor of reading beyond what our lectionary gives us. Genesis 25 through 50, shorter than most novels that you read this summer and see what you can glean from this richly woven story of our ancestors. This story that shows how God stayed present with them through everything they lived. Amen. Amen.